What is it about uniting residential care that makes it so special? It's more than just a job to us. Everyone who works here genuinely cares for their residents and we are all like one big family. That is what is important to me, that the residents know I'm always there for them. If you're looking for a supportive community that respects your individuality, we're here for you. Visit uniting.org today or call 1800 864 846. my 62nd birthday, I, I sat up in bed and said, I know what I want to do. I want to sing in a band. <laughs> what I like about end of life is generally all the garbage falls away and you're left with the core of the person. Just because you look a little bit different on the outside doesn't mean that you've changed on the inside. Hello and welcome to Oldie Goodie, a podcast series that celebrates ageing and all that comes with it. I'm Nikki Buckley, wife and mother of three young men now, but perhaps better known to many of you for my years as television host on the game show Sale of the Century. But now I am so happy to be here as co-host of Oldie Goodie with you, Matt, as we explore some of the interesting life changes we experience as we age. And I'm Matt Ferguson, husband, father of two, surfer, and I work with Uniting. I'm passionate about understanding how we can help people to age well. On each episode of Oldie Goodie, Matt and I, together with some amazing guests, will be diving a little deeper into some of the more positive sides of ageing, because after all, getting older is just a part of life. People today are living lives longer than ever before, but are they doing it well? And shouldn't that be what it's about? If you are living a long life, you should be enjoying it. Today's episode is about both these topics. We're going to talk about living long and we're going to talk about living well. And we'll be chatting with an expert about the blue zones, which are the five regions around the world where people live the longest and healthiest lives. And I can't wait to hear what comes out of this because I'm interested in doing both. Yeah, I'm one of those people that, you know, you hear what's going to keep you healthy and you're onto it for a while and then you drop off the wagon. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) yeah. Well, let's get into it. Today, we are joined by Dr. Tim Crow. Tim is an academic that's been teaching and researching health and nutrition for over 25 years. Now, often we get bombarded with so many different messages about nutrition. And one of the things I loved about Tim is he keeps things pretty simple. Welcome, Tim. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on the Oprah Show, Matt. No problem. Let's get right into it. So firstly, could you give us an overview of what and where the blue zones are? So in the world of nutrition, things can be very confusing. We really don't know what food is good or bad for us. Media headlines change all the time. And some years ago, researchers took a different tact. They said, let's look at the people who are living really long, healthy lives and look at the common habits of them and what can we learn from them. And they arose from some research in Sardinia, which is a small Italian isle. And researchers identified these villages where people had very long, healthy lives. And they drew blue circles around them on a map, hence the term blue zones. Then in the years that followed, a whole medical and nutrition and epidemiology team scoured the world for other areas they could identify where people lived very long and very healthy lives and look at the common characteristics of them. So the next question, of course, is where are they? Sardinia is is one of them, that's an Italian isle. Then we have the Greek island of Ikaria, where people have very long lives, probably four years longer than people on mainland Greece, much lower rates of dementia. The third one is, I think most people would know about, it's Okinawa, 
where people are the longest live in the world. So women live to the age of 90, men to the age of 84. The fourth one is a place called the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. So it's more of a tropical bent to the Blue Zones. And the fifth one is a really random one because it's in America. And it's in California and it's a town called Loma Linda. Now, if you don't know anything about Loma Linda, it's really the epicenter of the Seventh-day Adventist church. So many people there adhere to the church's teachings and also their lifestyles permeate throughout the community. And for that reason, people in Loma Linda live 10 years longer than people in the rest of America. This little island of wellness. And a lot is because of the lifestyles they leave. So there are five blue zones. Gosh, it's totally like interesting research in five different places. But what are the main, I guess, shared characteristics of those people that are living in those zones that, you know, enable us to have that title of the blue zones? This is the big thing. This is what the research show. What are the common characteristics? First of all, the, the food. And there is no one single diet they have. Obviously, people in Loma Linda, they, they follow a vegetarian diet because of the uh, following to the church's teachings. But all the other ones, typically it'll be a Mediterranean style diet for those in Icaria and Sardinia. But in Nokoya Peninsula, it's more of a tropical diet. And in obviously in Okinawa, it's more of a Japanese style. But the common theme is it's mostly plant-based. They're not all vegetarians. They eat some meat and dairy foods, but it's mostly plant-based. It's foods that are very close to the natural form. So not a lot of highly overprocessed foods typical of a Western society. And if there's one food that stands out as common across all of them, mm. and it's a very unloved, unsexy food, it's not a superfood, it is legumes. Oh, Beans, lentils, chickpeas, soybeans, they are the common food. And they really are a food that deserves true stardom status for how healthy they are for us. So they're big farters, are they? Oh, they, they, lots of those. And that <laughs> keeps them active because that's the second common <laughs> theme of the Blue Zones. They're very active. And by that, they're active throughout the day. So meaningful, purposeful activity, be it in the garden, at home making bread, out in their community. And the third one sums up a whole range of different factors. They engage with their family, with their friends, and with their community. So the three things, mostly plant-based foods, uh, regular activity throughout the day, and engage with the world. Controversial stuff, I know. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> totally. But you combine them together, you see long life expectancies. They do get chronic diseases, but typically it happens later in their life. So there's no point living to 100 if you've got you know, serious chronic diseases for 50 years of it. So they have much lower rates of dementia, cancer, heart disease, all of the, the things that afflict us in Western society. And we can trace it back to those common characteristics of them. Yeah, right. So guess yeah. what, kids? There's going to be lots more, you know, legumes, legumes. in our diet. <laughs> a can of baked beans counts as a legume. So yeah, that's right. one simple way to start off. Oh, and then you can, a lot you know, of that. You know, broader, branch out to other areas. I just had some chicken with blue cheese sauce for lunch. And I was wondering if that counted because it was blue, right? It so was blue, is it, blue cheese, it's not blue, the blue zone. foods, yeah? No, you've, no. Got, you've got years added to your life then, Matt. Years added <laughs> that's to your perfect. life. <laughs> one thing that I heard you mention there was dementia. In Icaria, is it? In Greece? Yeah, that's right. In Greece, they have half the rates of dementia compared to people in the mainland. Does that, you know, is that because of anything that you can put it down to? Yeah, so with dementia, there's many risk factors for them. A lot of them are related to cardiovascular disease, but also eating a good diet, you know, lots of fruits, vegetables, and lots of antioxidants in them. But also physical activity is one of the most potent protective factors against reducing the risk of dementia. So it's likely their lifestyle that they have. It's, it's the food, it's the activity. And we know that lowers the risk of dementia. And that's a big one. So dementia in all of the blue zones are as much lower rates, but also breast cancer, colorectal cancer, heart disease, you know, all the, all the big ones. Yeah, right. And we, we're just talking then a little bit about the foods, but how about from a hydration perspective? Like we're often told 
minimum of eight glasses of water a day, every day. But that never seems to come up in any of these discussions or anything that I've read. So is is that been part of the study? Do they have yeah. a really good, you know, regime of hydration? What do they drink with the foods they're eating? Well, first of all, a common one apart from in Loma Linda is they enjoy a glass of red wine. And I'm sure that's good news for most people hearing that. So it's but it's not the wine that they drink, it's the context they drink it in. Typically it's in a social situation with friends and family. Hydration wasn't really studied, that wasn't a big priority in these zones. Hydration certainly is important. As we get older, we are um, at high risk of dehydration. But just their lifestyles that they live, they're not being super active out all the time out in the sun, but they're just being active throughout the day. And they've got fairly good diets. So hydration is normally taken care of in that area. Big tick there, Matt. Red Big wine. Red wine. That's all you heard. Great. Red wine. Okay. Right. Six to eight glasses of red wine today and I'm <laughs> hydrated. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm, I'm on track. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the lifestyle lessons that we can learn from the Blue Zones and I've heard about a concept called the downshift. So could you talk a little bit about what the downshift is and about stress-relieving rituals and things that are built into their lives? Another characteristic in the Blue Zones is they do stress less. So whatever they do with their, their activities, they have you know, normal pressures in life. They have jobs and families and things like that. But for whatever reason, they, they stress less about things. When they get up in the morning, they have a purpose of what they're going to be doing that day, and they just get on and, and do things. So certainly reducing stress helps, but also with the lifestyle they leave. One of the most potent things you can do to help reduce the risk of depression and, and those sorts of mental illnesses is being active. So they're quite active throughout the day, so that helps with stress as well. And also just eating well. And if you make a change, if you've got a very poor Western diet and you start eating better, one thing that definitely happens is your mental health improves. And with that, of course, stress. And, and what about family life? You know, what kind of a role does that play in, you know, the longevity of the and them living longer? So this is a big thing about the Blue Zones. They are very connected to their family, particularly also to their friends. In Okinawa, young children will form a clique, a small group called a Maui, and they will all throughout their life, they'll travel through with that clique. That becomes their, their social network. Some of the Blue Zones are very faith-based, so they have that connection through through the church and so on, but you don't need to find God to get the benefits of a, of a Blue Zone. That is really a, a marker for connecting with a community, a group. You could be doing volunteering or whatever, you get the same benefits from it. So all of those together certainly add up to a lot of benefits. Now, what do we see in Australia? One in four people live alone. Compare that to 1970s where it was one in 10. And we know that already. We're less and less connected around us. We have social media, but social media is only a tool to take it to real life. And with that, of course, there's a big issue of loneliness, and that's becoming an an epidemic. In the UK, they now have a minister for loneliness because they acknowledge how much loneliness is linked to heart disease, dementia, and a whole range of risk factors. And if you're very lonely, you'll likely die earlier, which is different to liking to be alone. But to be feel lonely and not have connections is really bad for your health. So in blue zones, they don't really have that issue. Oh, it's, such, it's so sad, to think, just even hearing that, isn't it, to it think is. that there are people out there that are really lonely and, and that's guiding them towards that earlier death as well. It's it, just it sad. Is. And it's really being recognised as a, as a big issue, the fact that the UK now have a minister for loneliness because mm. they realise how much of a problem that is. And that's because of the lives we live. We are less connected in Western societies, whereas some of these blue zones, because of being more insular, they're typically on, on islands. And you could even say Loma Linda is a bit of an island as well because of the community there. They're more insulated from the outside world, but also they stay together in their groups. But it doesn't mean we can't adopt similar characteristics here. Do they welcome outsiders in? <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to be on a world tour of the Blue Zones. Once we can fly again, I'd love to go in and visit some of these and do a bit more of my own exploration mm. of them as well. <laughs> Tim, do we understand much about their sort of work 
environment? Are they sedentary or are they doing manual work or is, how does that contribute to it as well? Because I know most of our listeners are probably working in sedentary roles or in office roles. So that's a common thing about blue zones and a lot of them are white collar workers. They're living in more of a rural, semi-rural environment, but also they're living a bit more traditional lives. And because of that, they're more in, what I call incidentally active. So they're not going out and doing their, you know, half hour run or off to the gym. They're just active throughout the day, be it gardening, be it walking, doing errands and those sorts of things. So small bouts of physical activity spread throughout the day are considered better for you than doing it all at one time. But of course, in Western societies, that's a harder thing to do with our jobs. You have to be more proactive in trying to incorporate that physical activity in everything that you do throughout the day. Got to get those 10,000 steps in. That's look, one, one great way of starting. 10,000 steps, that will get you about six kilometres, and that's a, that's a decent walk. <laughs> So they're, they're probably not consciously out there trying to live longer. It's just a byproduct of their <laughs> it's, lifestyle. It's a beneficial it? it's, byproduct. It's a yeah. lifestyle that for some of them you could trace back to hundreds and thousands of years. Potentially also there could be a genetic component to it. But Loma Linda disputes that because in Loma Linda that, that's a fairly new community that's formed and they still get the benefits from that you know, 10 years longer lives because of the way they live. Would there be any simple habits that we could realistically adopt to move us more towards that blue zone style? Barring getting on a plane and flying to one of these places, there are a lot we can do. Let's look at the food. 7% of Australians only get to five servings of vegetables per day, meaning for most people, we don't even get to five servings of vegetables. Just eating one or two servings of vegetables a day extra, you will get benefits from it. Can you you define that? Because that's quite confusing to a lot of people. Like, what is a serve? You're saying five? What would that really take in? How big? You know, how big's a serve? So depending on the food, it varies, but typically it might be half a cup to a a cup for like, you know, for greens, a cup would be be a serving. Whereas if you're talking about, you know, things like carrots and Mm. things, you know, half a cup would be plenty. The thing is we eat so little of them anyway, and the foods that we do eat are too high, overly processed. So mm. for the grains we eat, most of the grains we eat are very uh, white grains, so they've lost a lot of their beneficial nutrients. So I always like to start with, we're not eating a lot of them, and pick whatever fruit and vegetable you want. They're all good. There's no one single superfood. So making one, one or two more servings of those. I've already mentioned what the true superfood is across the blue zones, and that is our unloved legumes. Yeah. So I think there's one food change you could make, it's just trying to have a few more of these. And there's a whole range of things. A nice dal, which will be uh, lentil curry, uh, some soy foods if you're, if you're into those sorts of things. Even starting with baked beans, if you don't eat any, just have a can of baked beans mm-hmm. and then you can start moving on to making your own sorts of foods. But these are truly great foods. Low in fat, great source of protein. They're the only food that appears twice in our dietary guidelines. They're both a vegetable, but also a protein food. So they get a double, a double billing. They're true powerhouse foods. You up for the <laughs> legume challenge, Matt? Yeah, I'm, I can see some radical changes to my diet coming out of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the food thing. Don't overcomplicate it. There, yeah. You don't have to have a perfect Instagrammable diet. You just need to add a few more vegetables in your day. I can just put put a, a picture of a bean up every day on Instagram. That's it. Yeah, one bean per day. One of these. And there one you go. A day. Seven yeah. a week. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first one. The second one is just getting more active. So it doesn't have to be a dedicated gym membership. It doesn't have to be training for a marathon. Just ways to incorporate physical activity in your day. And you know, the, the, the usual ones, take the stairs instead of the lift, park your car a bit further away from the shopping center, but you can just incorporate these without too many problems. But it can be even just a matter of just being more active around the home. And the third one is connect. Mm. Friends, family, church group, 
volunteer at park run, whatever, all of those are beneficial for your health. The more connections you've got in real life, the better you will be. Social media is great, but it can be good and can be bad. Mm. Use social media to maintain your connections, but then obviously take it offline and into the real world. I was going to ask you about, you know, what can we do to help those around us, you know, live a longer, healthier life? Like how can we have a more positive impact on our our loved ones. I guess it's kind of bringing in all those things. Absolutely. For so them. it will be the same thing that I've already outlined that the simple ones to be doing. So for, for activity, can you actually get a friend and, and you know invite them to go for a walk or do those sorts of things with you? At the same time, you're actually making a connection in person. Mm. Reach out to someone you think may not, could be a bit lonely. You don't have to actually frame it like that, but mm. you think someone that maybe doesn't have a lot of connections, just, you know, say hello, give them a call, you know, catch up with them. And with foods, you know, cook them a meal. Yeah. Can of baked beans on toast? <laughs> Matt, perhaps? Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking about this, the idea of a, a share the bean campaign. We'll, there we'll is get a, out that's there. That's a marketing yeah. genius. Share well, the was bean. it beans? Beans are good for your heart. The more you eat, the more you fart. The more the fart, the better you feel. So eat your beans at every meal. <laughs> I've never heard the end of that, Ryan. Ah. <laughs> I think I... Um, Oh, I think that I heard you say somewhere when I was listening to something about only eating until you're... 80% full, is that correct? And I, I thought about that last night when I was having this yummy <laughs> curry that I'd made and I wanted to go back for more and I went, oh, am I 80% full? <laughs> Maybe I should stop. So yeah, that's another characteristic of the blue zone. So in Japan, they have a, a saying called harahachibu. Any Japanese people out there, you would know what I've said. It means eat to your 80% full. <laughs> mm, yes, so must take that on board. I think maybe the other 20% is for your dessert stomach. I'm not sure about that. So just saving a bit of room. You've always got to save that room, haven't you, for the chocolate bean cake. <laughs> so just finally, Tim, I know, and I know it's going to be hard to choose, but if you, if you could put one lifestyle message up on a billboard, what would you choose? So I'm going to go to Michael Pollan first. He has that famous phrase, uh, eat foods, mostly plants, not too much. And by, by eat foods, it means foods that are not overly processed, mostly plant diet and don't eat a lot of it. I'm going to adapt it for the blue zones. It'll be eat food, mostly plants, move, connect. There we go. That's a great billboard. <laughs> <laughs> just eat, move, connect. Tim, I've just got one, one more question. Go ahead. Is it ever too late to make the changes? It is never too late. There's been a lot of research done in this that making positive lifestyle changes, no matter when you do them in life, has benefits for you at any age, at any age. It's hard for for those of us that have got family members in aged care, like you just don't know that they're getting, you know, like there should be some, I don't know, legislation around making sure that they are getting those healthy fresh foods as as well when they're needing it the most in their life. Absolutely. So obviously in that environment, the food supply is out of their hands, so what? In fact, only two days ago, I was reading a, a large scale study that ran for two years in residential care homes, finding that by increasing the amount of protein in their diet, in this case, it was coming from dairy foods and they're obviously a great source of protein, but also calcium, they could slash the risk of fracture, bone fracture and hip fractures by about 30 to 40% over two years, which is just phenomenal. And that was an intervention study. So it showed how important you know, a good diet was in older age in this group. Just because I'm all about the sleep, did that like did did that come into it anywhere across those zones about how much sleep they actually get? Uh, excellent. I haven't seen any reporting on the sleep. That's not one of the habits. But we know that that obviously good sleep habits throughout life are really important. And you know, finding that happy zone between about seven and eight hours sleep can be quite important. And we know that people who are high risk of dementia actually have very poor fragmented sleep as well. So poor sleep is linked with a whole range of illnesses as well. But I think with the lifestyle of being fairly low stress and eating well and a glass of red wine before dinner, I think they'll be sleeping pretty well. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Tim. Well, That's well, fantastic. It's great, great to chat and share the story about the Blue Zones with you. It sounds simple, doesn't it? But we just have to, you know, do it for ourselves and help others around us, particularly the elderly, to get on board, more healthy food, get them moving and socialising. Absolutely. I mean, you hit it you know, perfectly, Nikki, that it's, it's not complicated. You don't have to do any you know, special things. It's the things that intuitively you know that are good for us, but the benefits will come to you in spades from doing it. Thanks so much for joining us, Tim. See you later. Wonderful. Well, I loved those insights, Matt. I mean, they're probably things I'm always constantly readdressing in my life, but he's just affirmed it all, you know, eat well, I try to, move more, we're always trying to do that, and the connection, you know, with people. Yeah, you're right, Nikki. I just love the simplicity of it, the three lessons, eat, move, connect, and the fourth one, red wine every day. (laughs) Can't forget that. Tick. We're joined now by clinical psychologist Melissa Levi. Melissa specialises in older people's mental health and dementia. Melissa is with us in the studio to discuss some of the key lessons we learnt from Dr. Tim Crow. Welcome, Mel. Thank you so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Yes, you are always welcome. Now, Mel, one of the things I can't stop thinking about from our interview with Tim were his comments on loneliness. And he said, if you're very lonely, you're more likely to die earlier. Feeling lonely is really bad for your health. So let's unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. And and I must say, when I heard that, doesn't it just sort of give you that pang in the heart, you know, to think that loneliness, you know, there's something about that as human beings, we all have this fundamental human need to belong. We're, we're social creatures by design. And, and I think to think of somebody in their later years feeling lonely mm. and knowing that it's not just grappling with the feeling, but it also has this huge impact on their health and, and also on their longevity or their, their lifespan. And I guess one of the first things that popped into my mind is a study that's run by Harvard University. It's the Harvard Study of Adult Development. I think it's running at about 80 years at the moment and is one of the world's longest studies on adult development. And for those of you listening, there's actually a really wonderful TED talk that you can listen to that's all about this study. But just to to give it in a nutshell, back in 1938, I think it was, they tracked a group of Harvard men. At the time, they were all men. And they also tracked a comparison group of men from some of the poorest or most disadvantaged neighborhoods in Boston. And they tracked them, as I said, I think it's about 80 years running now. And they wanted to know what is it that makes life healthy and happy? What predicts a healthy, happy life? And as you can imagine, these men came from a really diverse array of backgrounds and led really interesting lives. There was a president of the United States, um, you know, in one of them. And basically what they found is irrespective of all of these factors, irrespective of financial circumstances, professional achievement, medical records, the thing that most reliably predicted somebody's health and happiness over the course of their lifetime was the quality and the closeness of their relationships. And I guess that really speaks to the heart of what Dr. Tim Crow was saying around, you know, the absence of that, which I guess is loneliness, is is so detrimental to our health. And I think as individuals, as healthcare professionals, but more broadly as a society, I really think it's our responsibility to pause and reflect on that and think, what can we do to combat loneliness in later life? And I think if ever there was a time to do it, it's now. So many people have said to me, oh, 
COVID was just so awful because it's left all of these older people in particular so socially isolated. And they're absolutely right, but I tend to say to them, it isn't just COVID though. If anything, COVID has just shone a light on a long-standing problem of loneliness and social exclusion amongst our older adults. So I guess that the time is right, we're committed, we're starting the conversation, so what can we do about it? I guess the first thing I'd like to mention is that it doesn't need to be high tech or elaborate. This is one of those pick up the phone and call your nan. (laughs) It's one of those moments because, I mean, I remember one time, and I actually feel a bit emotional reminiscing about this. I remember calling my grandfather, my Zayda, to say hello. And at the end of the phone call, he clearly didn't know quite how to hang up his iPhone. And it was maybe a three, four minute quick call. I was probably running to get a coffee or in the car or just to say hello. And I heard him at the end of the call say to my grandmother, what a girl, what a girl. She doesn't forget me. And I just, oh, I mean, you know, that gave me all the feels. And for me, it was a few minutes of my time, but for him and for older people, it's just knowing that they matter. Mm. We all want to feel that we matter. So a friend suggested that when you get on the bus and you give up your seat for an older person, that it's not just giving up your seat, but then sit down next to them, you know, and have a chat. Mm. Or if you see them in the street, I remember one morning walking with my my young daughter, with, you know, bright and early because the day tends to start at 5am and we passed an older gentleman who I didn't know. And I just said, oh, hi, good morning. And he said, you know, no one says that to me anymore. We used to all wave and say good morning and no one does that anymore. And these are insignificant things. And you probably think, gosh, how's that going to combat something as big and, and as tricky to tackle as loneliness? But it's in these small moments of connection that we find belonging and that we find our humanity. And I think, you know, just listening to that, because not everyone has grandparents. So, you know, you might be listening and going, oh, but I don't have any grandparents to check in on. Well, it's the neighbor down the street. There's somebody you know that you would make the biggest difference to just by saying hi or popping in and having a cup of tea or, you know, bringing in their paper in the morning or something and just connecting. Absolutely. And you would be surprised how many times we get referrals. And whenever we see an older person, we always ask for them to bring someone along, you know, uh, whether it's a spouse, a child, a family member, a friend. So many people bring their neighbors. Mm. One time we even had someone and I said, you know, can I speak to your sort of next of kin or your closest contact to get some more information? And he said to me, yes, sure. You know, it's George. And I said, oh, can I get George's details? I don't know George's phone number and I don't know his last name. He works at the corner store at the end of my street. So we literally went out to the corner store to meet, Mm. meet with George. So I guess these are the little things that we can do, but then there are some bigger picture things as well. So are you familiar with the idea of co-housing? So I I thought this was a great idea where, you know, there are a lot of older people that live in their homes that have space and they're feeling quite lonely. And then there are a lot of younger people who perhaps the affordability of finding a rental or living out of home is a challenge. So there are services and platforms that match older people. Isn't it a great idea? And so it offers companionship. And what I love about it is that it's serving both people's needs. Both people are benefiting from the arrangement. There's been some interesting experiments in aged care homes over in Europe where they actually do 
rent some of the rooms out in the aged care homes to young people and they get to live, I think they live rent free, providing they engage with the residents and just that interaction of how's your day been? What are you doing? What are you studying? There's often mentor roles develop and both sides are gaining from it. Like both sides are experiencing I love that idea. Yeah, that'd be great to see that happening here. It's yeah. wonderful. And I, I'm sure you saw the television show Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen it, you have to see it. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it just lift your heart? Yeah. But that's happening too. So, there are residential aged care facilities and retirement communities that are now being built with preschools on site and daycares on site, which I just think is fabulous. And it's so beautiful for these younger children as well. So I think there are there are some big movements and, and big changes that are happening to address loneliness. And also you, uh, and this is, a, I guess, a bigger conversation, but just very briefly, the government offers those who are living at home a certain amount of money to put towards home care. It's called a home care package. Yeah. You can actually use some of that money to pay for carers to come for social purposes. It doesn't need to be for physical care or, you know, domestic assistance. They can take you for a cup of coffee or take you out. And I think there are also community transport options because often just simple things like transportation is just a really big barrier. So I think there's a a myriad of things we can do to combat loneliness. But I hope that at the end of this episode, if you've got a neighbor, if you've got a loved one, pick up the phone, knock on the door, cup of tea, bottle of wine. That is such good information. The home care one is really interesting because I I went through all of that with my mother-in-law and I never thought about that aspect where you could actually utilize some of it for them to come and take them out. I mean, yes, there was take them shopping and yes, there was come and clean the house and, you know, do the washing, but not actually just come and hang out. We often have cases where our care workers will go to the home and watch a TV show with yeah. people and have a cup of tea, just come and sit be with me, hang out, share some time, and then they've got that companionship. It's, it's fantastic. And I, th- I think that is just as therapeutic and medicinal as any other care that we, that we offer older people. I, I just want to touch on one thing, and this will maybe it's a little bit controversial, but it's on topic. My mum has a Google voice device in the home, and she's often annoyed by us kids. You know, we ring her every day, at least one of us, there's the family's always around, but she comes out every morning and she'll say, good morning, Google. And it answers her. What's the weather like today? And she just has a couple of, she has this interaction while she's making her cup of tea. And I thought, well, what is there a role for technology in the future? At the moment, the conversation's quite limited. It doesn't carry on, but she gets a kick out of it as an adjunct or, a, you know, just an addition. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a, definitely a role for technology. Um, and I think during COVID in particular, I had a lot of my clients that were learning for the first time to use video conferencing, Zoom and Skype and FaceTime, and, and it was wonderful. I think the only little caveat that I would put there is I do think there's a certain magic in being person to person, being able to physically connect with another person. But I think, as you said, as an adjunct, technology definitely has a role. And I love that your mum's embracing the Google voice. Oh, she's an early adopter. She's got a draw with uh, every type of 
music device that's ever been developed mm. with headphones attached and cassette players and everything, and she just moves on but puts it away and keeps it. Good and on the, her. And the current one, she, she loves that. Morning, Google, can you play Matt, Frank Sinatra? you just sorted my next you know. present for Joni. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she will love it. I know what, what, what Tim took us through sounded simple, it's simple to live well, but what if someone's lacking like motivational resources to follow the lessons? You know, what, what sort of actions can they take or how do we get them started? I'm really, really glad that you mentioned that because, and I'm going to put my hand up here, before working with older people, I think I assumed that sort of withdrawing, for want of a better term, you know, almost becoming a bit of a hermit in later life, that that was almost just par for the course. What I have realized is that what you're describing, Matt, that sort of lack of motivation, lack of get up and go, it's what I would describe as apathy. That's not an inevitable byproduct of aging. Often, if you're finding that a loved one used to be really engaged and energized and suddenly they're just lacking that zest, please don't ignore it. Don't assume that, you know, it's just a a gradual withdrawal. It's just a natural part of getting older because it's not. Often there's something else going on. So it's worth popping down to the GP. Is that person possibly suffering from some depression? Often depression in later life doesn't always manifest as sadness. It can manifest as that apathy and that withdrawal. Have there been some changes in the brain? So we spoke a little bit about, you know, the delicate blood vessels in the brain. And sometimes if there are changes in certain regions that are responsible for that get up and go, that initiative, that can leave someone feeling apathetic. So I think the first thing to do is, you know, look at some medical causes and optimize the treatment and management of that. The other thing that we can do is if somebody's finding it hard to initiate something themselves, they might just need us to create those opportunities for them. So rather than saying, you know, mum or neighbour, you know, why don't you pop down to the local club or why don't, come with me. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Let's just go and do it together. I, I remember, you know, with my grandfather, as, as his dementia progressed, he would lack that sort of initiative and generativity. But if you offered it to him, oh my goodness, he'd be delighted. So, Or even drag them out, even if they go, no, I, I can't be bothered. I don't, I'm too tired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. once they've done it, they'll be loving it. And it's a little bit like when you're invited to a party and it's the end of the day and you think, I don't want to go, I'm exhausted. But once you get there and you get Mm. in the swing of it, it gives you a boost and then it becomes a sort of self-perpetuating cycle. So once they've done it once, it builds confidence, they create social connections, Mm. they enjoy it. It gets easier as you go along. Well, Mel, thank you so much for that. That's all we've got time for today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. I always love having a chat with you both. Thank you. We love having you. Well, Matt, another (laughs) interesting episode comes to a wrap. I mean, I've learned so much as always. I I love learning about health and wellness and how I can live longer and be the best me. But then there's so much there to take on board about helping others, helping the elderly and how we can re-engage them and make them feel good about themselves and make them enjoy their lives longer. It's really sort of impressed me is to step in and take the lead. And and if you, as Mel said, if somebody is a little bit apathetic or they're not joining in, don't just suggest, do, take, grab, go and and join in with them and then both of you will benefit from it. That's a fantastic lesson on that. 
Well, that's it for today's episode of Oldie Goody. And for more information on anything that we've discussed or to find out more about the Blue Zones and Dr. Tim Crow, head to oldiegoody.com.au. We also have an email if you'd like to send us any questions. It's hello at oldiegoody.com.au. And to be the first to hear our new episodes, don't forget to subscribe to Oldie Goody wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. What is it about uniting residential care that makes it so special? It's more than just a job to us. Everyone who works here genuinely cares for their residents and we are all like one big family. That is what is important to me, that the residents know I'm always there for them. If you're looking for a supportive community that respects your individuality, we're here for you. Visit uniting.org today or call 1-800-864-846.